You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. I will do my best. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. We're going to start a teaching on money. All right. We're going to do a teaching series on money. And um, it's not necessarily how to get more of it, but how the believer should interact with money. You've heard it said that money is such a useful servant, but it's a cruel master. The interesting thing is that there's something else that people use that example for, and it's fire. It's a useful servant, but it's a cruel master. Money is like fire. If you don't learn to control it, if you don't learn to tame it, it will devour you. It will. It will devour you. There is nothing, let me tell you something. There is no vice, no addiction, nothing in this world that the effect of that thing on the human soul is seen as evidently as money. Nothing. I'm telling you, not even drugs. Not even drugs. Because many times when you see people who are heavily addicted to drugs, it's because of money. Are you with me? It's because of money. I was jokingly talking to one of you during the week, and I told the person how it's money that sponsors cravings. Have you noticed that when you are at the lowest of your low, when tough times have lasted, you know, tough times that came with power bank, it came to stay. Has, you don't used to crave anything. You just thank God for the little groceries and floating berries that you see and move on. Amen. Amen. If the situation is better, you will eat Indomie. Am I saying the truth? Uh, and you move on. You thank God and move on. But when small money should touch your hand, you start craving shawarma. Say, ah, I've not eaten pizza in such a long time. <laughs> if you don't learn to tame money, it will make a mess of you. It will make a mess of you. Spiritual warfare is not always in, um, I bind, I cast, I lose, I bind, I cast. The devil has many agents. And the lowest rank of agents are witches and wizards. Oh, I'm telling you, they are the lowest rank of agents. When you've dealt with witches, I have seen men that they made, they made a mess of witches and wizards. And then the devil's superior agents like greed, pride, lust, made a mess of them. Some men, the devil knows witches and wizards won't do anything to this one. Uh -uh, with this prayer life, it's not witches and wizards. I can't, I, can't, I can't send somebody to go and attack this one. It's pride I need to attack him with. Lust, greed. If you don't tame those appetites early, they will destroy you. And so, we're doing a teaching series on how the believer must interact with money. I asked you to open to Acts chapter 20, yeah? And now behold, 
I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more, verse 26. And now behold, um, wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men, verse 27, where, which is my emphasis. For I have not shunned to declare unto you, read the last line together, everybody wants to go, the whole counsel of God. As a preacher, as a believer, when you preach, what we seek to bring to you is the whole counsel. That is a balanced teaching on God's word. Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, because sometimes heresy or false teaching is not just a lie that somebody told that is not in the Bible. Sometimes it is taking something in the Bible to an extreme. Are we together? Other times it is correcting one extreme with another extreme. As a good Bible student, you must learn how to discern the whole counsel of God. This is wrong, but this is also wrong. This is where we need to be. Do you get what I'm saying? And so many things have been said about money in the body of Christ. I'm telling you, there are churches, the entire emphasis, there are 55, 52 Sundays in a year, right? And every Sunday in the 52 Sundays, they're talking about money. How you must give more to get more and all of those. And that's wrong. Now, some people, in a bid to correct that, go to the other extreme and never talk about it. That is also wrong. We must seek a balanced approach to doctrine. Are you with me? Say we must seek a balanced approach to doctrine. Look with me to Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1. Proverbs chapter 11 verse number 1. A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but the just weight is his delight. Everybody read Proverbs 11, 1 together, 1 to go. A false balance is an abomination unto God, but a just weight is his delight. God delights in balance. In fact, you see it in Paul's teachings. When he's talking about how things should be done in the local assembly, he says, let everything be done in moderation. Let there be a sense of balance to the things you do. Are you with me? God delights in balance. Praise the Lord. So when we teach doctrine, when we seek the truth, don't be of the, of the category of people who, because many people have done this wrongly, you now say, we are not going to do it at all. It is wisdom to refine. Do you get what I'm saying? Prioritize refining above rejection. When you see gold in its raw form, it doesn't look like gold. Are you with me? It doesn't look like gold. In its raw form, it doesn't. It looks like a rock, stone. Now, you will crush the stone, 
go for the, the cord, the ore at the middle of the stone, melt it, melt it, sieve it, purify it until you get the gold. Now, it is one extreme to say this rock as it is, is gold because it isn't. But it is another extreme to now say anywhere you see this rock, throw it away because it is not gold. A balanced approach would be how can we divide the rock and get to the gold at the middle of the rock? Are we together? Let's talk about two truths about balance. Two truths about balance. Before I start teaching on money, I want to tell you what balance is so that you know what we are going for. Are you with me? You know what exactly we are going for. Number one, balance is not about equality. It is about equity. I would explain. Balance is not about equality. It is about equity. Um, Pastor Dan, please come. Stand here. Um, Akuma, please come. Please stand here. Put your hands together for the both of them, please. Now, if, thank you, if there was a seesaw, you know what a seesaw is? For those of us that went to not so good primary schools, those of us. Seesaw, there's this thing that in two schools, there will usually be like a fulcrum, okay, something in the middle, then a bar, then some people will sit on one side, and person will sit on the other, then this one will come up, go down. that's what it's like, Jangilova. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you. That's the one we know. Uh-huh, thank you. So now, imagine there's a seesaw between these two people. He sits on one end. And he sits on one end. Now, I call them out because um, Pastor Dan is my goal to be slim like this. He is very buff and big, right? So he weighs more than he weighs. Is that correct? Now, if there's a seesaw, do you agree with me that the moment they both sit down, this guy will tip the scale. And Pastor Dan will be in the sky. He'll be looking for Jesus. Is that correct? All right. Now, to balance that seesaw, do I now say, because I, add, because I will have to add some weight to this side now, will I now say equality? Because I've added 20 kg here, I must go and add 20 kg there. Is that what I will do? If I keep doing that, I will never achieve balance. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ah, so if I want to achieve balance, I would know his weight, I would know his weight, then add the deficit to him. Thank you so much. Put your hands together for them and go and sit down. Balance is not usually about equal representation. Balance is not usually about equal sides of everything. Say, ah, you said this side, you to talk about this side now. Sometimes the proper balance is hundred of this, zero of this. <laughs> are you with me proper balance 100 of this zero of this sometimes 70-30 that's balance because 
Imagine you are cooking. Now, you follow a recipe. So they tell you, weigh 20 grams of rice. You weigh 20 grams of rice. You put it on fire. You now say, well, to balance it, you will now weigh 20 grams of salt and pour inside the rice. You will be cooking salt and be sprinkling rice inside the salt. <laughs> Is that correct? And so for that little amount of rice, the balance may be to pinch the salt like this and just sprinkle it inside a little bit. So balance is not always about equality. Sometimes to balance a truth, you must stamp down on what is the opposite so hard that it is never heard again. Now you've brought out the balance of that truth. Are you with me? But now, the second truth about balance is you don't go to an extreme to balance another extreme. Don't do that. That's something that the body of Christ did recently. It's just bad. It is true that many people have abused the teaching on tithing. It is true. But to balance that extreme, you now say, we will never give again to the church. You have gone to another extreme. Because you can't find that not giving culture in the Bible. There are many instructions in the Bible to give. So if you want to balance the extreme on tithing, you don't balance it by saying, we have given too much, we are not going to give again. You balance it by finding out what does the Bible teach and you stay there. Are we together? Today, I want us to achieve balance. Before we start talking about money, contentment, all of those things, let us achieve balance on the Bible's perspective on prosperity. I will start by teaching you what the false gospel of prosperity is. Huh? Are you with me? I will start by teaching that. Then I will now bring a balance to it. I'll start by showing you the errors of this false gospel so that you will know what you have believed. Are you with me? You will know what exactly you are meant to believe as a Christian. Because people take things to the extreme all the time. Raise your hand if this happened to you. You, you grew up in a church where the prosperity gospel was taught a lot. Raise your hand first. Let, let's see. All right, put your hands down. Now, one day, um, you discovered, maybe because of a friend or because of someone, that the prosperity gospel is not entirely true. So, you now stopped believing every single thing they said in that church. Raise your hand if that happened to you. In fact, you got to a point where you didn't even want to hear the man teach about holiness or anything else. You felt because he was wrong on the subject of prosperity, he would be wrong on every other thing. Raise your hand if that happened to you. That's not how it's meant to be done. But at the same time, you need to know, what exactly does the Bible say? Where should I put my tent? What should I believe? Raise your hand if, as a Christian, you've gotten to a point where you want to stay away from the prosperity gospel. You are doing your best to follow the truth. But many times when you want to ask God for mundane things, your personal needs, you feel like 
I shouldn't be asking for this. There are more important things to be praying about. Asking for this is like the prosperity. Raise your hand if that happened to you, at least. Let's fix that today. Okay? All right, let's start. False teachings on the money subject. Number one, the prosperity gospel. Just so you are clear, the definition of the prosperity gospel is the gospel that asserts that Christ came to die for your wealth, your health, and your best life now. The gospel that asserts that Christ came to die for your wealth, your health, and your best life now. If you, a life with, without Christ is full of crisis. That means if you are in Christ, there are no crises. They have lied. It's not true. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus said in this world, you will face many tribulations. It's Jesus that said it. It's Jesus that said it. Do you know Jesus' opinion on, on prosperity? We'll look at it today. But one of the interesting facts, there was a time when Jesus, um, this, there was this woman that came with this very expensive perfume jar, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, and then Judas Iscariot got angry. Do you know how much that is? That's how you know a man that loves money. Immediately he sees the perfume. He already knows the price. He has been browsing on that perfume. Ah, you know, they researched the perfume. Then the woman carried the perfume inside. He thought it was seed. She now broke it. Ha. You broke it. Ha. And then she poured it on his leg. And Judas, listen, this is something you need to know about the influence of money on your heart. Judas couldn't see beyond the price tag of that bottle. He couldn't see the worship behind the action. All he could see was the price tag. This is the problem with many people who say things like, eh, you will carry so much money and go and give it to church. You can't see beyond the amount. You can't see the worship behind it, the mind that drives it. The interesting thing is that's what God sees, the mind that drives that behavior. Are you with me? Anyway, back to the story. And so Judas says she could have sold the perfume bottle and given it to the poor. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar with some arguments you've heard online? That money you are giving to God, that money you took to church, why don't you sell the, uh, sell the car? Why don't you carry the money and give to the poor? And this was Jesus' response. The poor you will always have with you. What does that mean? It means if she doesn't give to them today, she can give them tomorrow morning. Don't always make it an either-or situation. Either you give to God or you give to the poor. You can plan for both. Are you, are you with me? Uh, you can plan for both. You give to church today, you give to the poor tomorrow, life keeps going on. And Judah said that not because he cared for the poor, um, the book of John says, but because he, he loved money. When he was saying he could have sold and given it to the poor, the poor was him. I remember having a conversation with one guy a couple of years ago. 
on his status, he was just bad-mouthing Covenant University. He graduated from Covenant University, by the way. The hypocrisy of it. He graduated from the school. But he was bad-mouthing the bishop. That's why is the school not free? And he talked and talked and talked. I was just watching. So I messaged him. I said, Jatarakusa, if you were the owner of this school and you were the pastor of Living Faith Church, will the school be free? He said, of course not. That was his response. Of course not. I have to pay salaries. I said, okay, let's take it up a notch. You know Covenant University, I don't know if it is still true now, but at the, at the time, was the cheapest private school in Nigeria. Mm. I don't know if it's still tr true till now. But the school fees is heavily subsidized. Because for I, when I entered Covenant University, I think Babcock was paying, I, I did chemical engineering. I think at the time Babcock was paying about 600 or 700 for um, um, engineering fees. My school fees was 454,000. 454, I can't forget. Right, so heavily subsidized. So I said, okay, you know that the school is currently the cheapest private school, and one of the best. I argue to say the best, but some people will come from my head. Let's try to do that, don't eat meat, seller. <laughs> the school, the school is arguably one of the best in the nation. Now, if you were the owner of the school, would you subsidize the fees the way it is subsidized? Because we know that the chancellor pays a lot of things out of his pocket. He said no. I said, so what, what is your, you are just, the devil is using you and you are letting him. This rant you are ranting on the online is just for attention and it's the devil that is pushing you to rant it and you are letting him. Many of the people who are ranting this rant don't give. They don't care about the poor. I'm not saying they don't give to church. They don't give to their parents. You don't get it. A poor giving culture shows in every area. It's not just church. You don't give to your parents. You don't give to people who help you. You don't give to the poor. You don't give to anybody. You are just greedy. I will talk about this next week. It's not today's station. But make sure money does not have a hold on your heart like that. Anyway, false extremes on money um, subject, the prosperity gospel. Errors of the prosperity gospel. Number one, Abraham's blessings. Number one, Abraham's blessings. Listen, let me put a caveat before I start talking. I believe strongly in divine favor. Are you with me? I believe that God can prosper a man in a strange land or in a familiar land. I know God can prosper men. So what I'm about to say does not negate my belief in divine favor. But if the Bible is clear on something, let us be, be as clear as the Bible is on that thing. Are you with me? Abraham's blessings. Now, the proponents or the, the people who teach the prosperity gospel always say something along the lines of Abraham's blessing is in the fact that Abraham was rich. Have you heard that before? Abraham was rich. And then that blessing was transferred to Isaac and Isaac sowed in the land and he reaped a hundredfold. Have you heard that before? Yes, Are you with me? Have you heard that before? Yes, All right, good. What exactly is Abraham's blessings? When you were young, in Sunday school, you sing Abraham's blessings. Is that true? I am blessed in the morning. I am blessed in the What happened in the afternoon? Abraham's blessings are mine. So what exactly are you singing about? Because subconsciously, 
When we say Abraham's blessings, everybody immediately starts to think money, material things, wealth. Let's look at the Bible. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 12 to 14. And we're reading it together. So look at the screen. It's on the screen. It says, And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us. You're supposed to be reading with me. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So hold on. Christ, in his death, redeemed us from the curse, the punishment of the law. He became that punishment for us. He took that punishment for us. Are we together? So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Verse um, 14. It says that the blessing of Abraham, you're supposed to read with me. Everybody wants to go. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So what is the blessing of Abraham? That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The teachers of the prosperity gospel read chapter 3 verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And immediately jump to poverty is one of the causes of the law. Christ has redeemed us from poverty. But the Bible rarely leaves such things open for interpretation. He is clear that the promise of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. That is, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So what is the blessing of Abraham? The receiving of the Spirit through faith. Or another way you can put it is that God declares you righteous by faith. Romans chapter 4, I think it's verse 4. Romans chapter 4. We'll start from verse 1 just so I can, I can find it. Romans 4, 1. All right. Look to the screen. What shall we say then that, our, that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. That is, if Abraham's works justified him, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. Because no man can boast about their works before God. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag. No man can look to God and say, I'm good enough. No, you are not. No man can look to God and say, but I worked hard enough. You didn't. Do you think God is impressed because you decided not to tell a lie? Or you came into this year and you said, New Year resolution, I'm not going to sleep with anybody that is not my husband or my wife this year. Then you're not, you think God is in heaven saying, Yay, I'm impressed. That's the barest minimum. Doesn't even measure up to his standard. So if Abraham tried and was a good man, he had something to boast about amongst men, but not before God. Are you with me? Verse next. For what saith the scriptures? Everybody read together, want to go. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him. This is Abraham's blessing. This is why Abraham is the father of faith and therefore our father in the faith. That just like Abraham, everyone that believes, everyone that believes, 
is called righteous. Not because of what they have done, but because of what Christ has done. Shout glory. Verse 4. How, now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. If you go to work, the salary they pay you is not grace. They owe you. Are you with me? But verse 5. But everybody read this. It's sweet. Read this together once to go. But to him that walketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith. This is Abraham's blessing. This is worth more than all the money in the world. Are you hearing me? This is worth more than all the money in the world. The fact that I'm not good enough, I can't work for it, but my faith is counted for righteousness. Oh, I just believe in Jesus and I'm righteous. Many people say heaven will be a place full of surprises. I agree. Not just how you think. Many people think that those who expect to be in heaven will get there and the angels will turn them around. No. The surprise, I think, is that many people who thought they were not good enough, they believed in Jesus, never really heard the gospel in its pure form, tried their best to keep God's laws, but failed and fell many times. They would get up on that last day, come before heaven's pearly gates and expect to be turned back and the angel would say, no, you missed it all along. You are not going to enter here because of the works you did. The person who walked for you to enter here is already inside. He's waiting for you. That's Abraham's blessing. One of the biggest dangers of the prosperity gospel is that they take deep things and water it down by making it about money. You take something that is deep, something that has eternal value, and you water it down by making it about money. My God. So the first error of the prosperity is the definition of Abraham's blessings. So the next time you are singing Abraham's blessings are mine, this is what I want you to have in your mind. I've received the Spirit through faith. I was counted righteous by faith. Are you with me? I was counted righteous by faith. That's it. I've got Abraham's I'm blessed. Look at, look at verse 6. Is it, it says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Verse 7. Saying, everybody read together, one to go. Blessed are they whose iniquities are what? And whose sins are what? Say, I'm blessed. Come on, say it with, with more assurance. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. So as a Christian, I am blessed in plenty. I am blessed in lack. I am blessed when the skies are gray. I am blessed when the skies are, are sunny. I am blessed when it is good. I am blessed. Why? I always have the Spirit of God in me. I always have forgiveness imputed unto me. Do you get it? I'm blessed because my faith makes righteousness available to me. That's the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. Number two, false extreme on the money subject. The idea that money, that poverty is a sin. 
the idea, you, you, you've heard it, some people have said it expressly, some people um, suggest it subliminally in their message. Poverty is a sin. I've heard people say things like, if God is with you, you cannot be poor. And many times, they would cement this idea with Jesus was not poor. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He was very poor. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a really poor man. He was poor. See, he was not poor. He had a big house. Where? <laughs> Where? He had so much money. How? Said he had so much money that even the soldiers, when he was dead, they fought to collect his linen. And so, the linen they tore it in pieces. Let me ask you a question: If Pastor David buys um, an expensive shirt, right? Um, I have a story to tell about expensive shirts, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it for another day. <laughs> if Pastor David buys an expensive shirt and he says I no longer want this shirt and then he drops it and all the boys now say ah I like that shirt it's very nice and so they now want to collect it now do you think that the boys will now say because the shirt is very expensive we must have a piece of it even if it means tearing it does it make sense for them to tear it they would rather say you know what or yeah we'll play some type of game keep the shirt Whoever wins will collect the shirts. Jesus was not rich. He was poor. <laughs> in fact, one of the times, I think it was in um, Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus said, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The son of man does not have where to put his head to sleep. Look at Jesus' travels. How many times did you see record of him and he went back home? <laughs> so he journeyed from Capernaum back to his home in an estate in Jerusalem. How many times did you see that? The man had no house. He was just moving up and down, sleeping wherever night met him. If the night met him in a boat, he would sleep there. Meet him on the road, he would sleep there. Also, his disciples were poor as well. Do you know that Jesus' disciples had a greater chance at being rich without him? Because some of them, Matthew was a tax collector. Maybe you don't understand. In that day, it was a big boy stuff to be a tax collector. Big boy. The others, some, um, Peter and his brother, they were fishermen. They may not have had so much money, but at least they would catch fish and go and sell. In fact, the day they caught the most amount of fish, Jesus, Jesus was the one that made them catch it. They made them leave it and follow him. <laughs> he made them leave the fish. Like, just imagine. You've been working hard all your life. Going from job to job. Looking for that job that will pay you two million monthly then Jesus says there's a call on your life. You're like, okay, God, 
how, how am I sure that there's a call on my life? The next day, you get offer letter. Salary, 2.5 million. Jesus will now say, drop this offer letter and I will make you a fisher of men. God, I don't want to fish men. <laughs> I don't want to fish men. Today, I have decided I'll be fishing fish. <laughs> because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not fishing for men. <laughs> Poverty is not a sin. Being poor is not a sin. It's painful, <laughs> but it's not a sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? Paul said, I have learned how to abase and abound. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 12, actually. No, 13. Philippians 4, 13. Media team, are we good? Now, oh, wow. Are you there in your Bibles? Read verse 12. And abound. Um, can you put up verse 12 in a more recent translation? I want to show you something. All right. Look at this. It says, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. I want to tell you something, children of God. This is your first, this is the first mentality you must have when it comes to being a Christian and dealing with money. That there will be times that I will need to have a little. There will be times I would need to have a lot. When I have a little, I know how to have it. I know how to behave in that moment. When I have a lot, I know how to behave in that moment. Don't always say, God forbid. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because sometimes the Lord will demand all that you have. When he demands, the, the idea, see, this is the next era I'm going to talk about, I hope. The idea that if God demands all that you have, it means that he wants to give you more. It's not always true. Amen. Amen. I hope I can speak freely. Ah, it's not always true. Sometimes it is true. God will demand from you to create room for you to receive more. Sometimes. But sometimes God demands from you because there is a need somewhere that needs to be met. And he trusts, he, he should be able to trust you to stay put in little till the plenty comes back. Paul said, I know how to have a little I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secrets of content, of being content rather, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. Now he now says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've taught you before, whenever you see in the Bible the word all used, it is always explained in the context of its use. Is that correct? So what will all things mean? I know how to abase and abound. I know how to have a little. I know how to have a lot. In any circumstance, whether I am well fed or I am hungry, I can do all things. How? Christ strengthens me. 
So sometimes the strengthening of Christ would look like replenishing of resources. Are you with me? Sometimes the strengthening of Christ would be the refreshing of your soul. There is a difference between the two. Are you with me? Don't let anybody tell you that if you are poor, it's because you are doing something wrong. You know, you have sinned. God's favor. It's, it's a prevalent ideology now in our day. You hear statements like, he does not look like somebody that is worshipping God. And what they are generally referring to is how money is not showing on him. Because somebody who is worshipping God is supposed to have money. What of the pastors in the villages? Faithful Christians in villages. Like the entire village is poor. I'm talking about in terms of resources the village does not have. So how does he want to be rich? Say, well, he'll be the richest in the village. Not so. If you understood God's mindset about money, sometimes you would know that God would rather you give out the money than you amass it. You know, God doesn't think the way you think. Now, I'm not saying savings is bad. But how many times did you see Jesus teach on savings? How many times did you see the apostles teach on savings? It was almost as if every time they talked about money, he was giving it out. Now, I'm not saying you should not save. If you don't save, hi. <laughs> but there is a mindset that must drive the way you save. It's not your savings that will save you in the day of trouble. Let me tell you now, it's not your savings that will save you in the day of trouble. The man that puts his trust in the arm of flesh, he will always be disappointed. There is a way your brain must work. There is a way your mind was, must work as a Christian. I'm not saving because, ha, ah, in the future something may go wrong. I'm just saving because I have plenty. In fact, part of the reasons why you should save is to tame your appetite. So now, you were earning 300,000, 200,000 before, and it was okay for you. You now start earning 500. You now suddenly think that your expenses must rise to meet that 500,000. You now open your appetite to things that you don't need. So part of the reasons why you save eh, is so that, at least if I'm earning 200, my income rose to 500, I would just, I would increase my expenses to like 250, 300, and save the 200 that is left behind. So that money will not make a mess of me. Some of you, you have savings. You are not using it for anything. There is a need in the body of Christ. You see it. You can see it with your two eyes. You'll be looking at it like it's not your business. It's a bad place to be. I'm telling you. It's a bad place to be. You, you, you have savings, you are not using it for anything. You are passing by on the street every day. There are these children that run around the street. Every day you'll be making social commentary. These children should be in school. They should be. But you, don't, you have money. You have money you are not using. Why haven't you called, where are your parents? Let me see them. Sir, ma, please don't be angry. Can I put these children in school? Even if it is not a big private school, look for a small one. Small one. Where uh, school fees, you can afford it. Do you know how many of you can afford to pay people school fees? 
the money you spend on nonsense. If you just if you just say okay, okay, you know what? This month I won't order food. I will cook at home. The money you save, you use to send someone to school. Praise the Lord. So number two, poverty is a sin. That's an error of the prosperity gospel. Poverty is not a sin. Jesus was not wealthy. Jesus did not make anybody in his earthly ministry materially rich. Think about that. He did not make anybody in his earthly ministry materially rich. That is with money, they now became very rich because of Jesus' ministry. Again, I started this teaching by saying, I believe that God prospers. Are you with me? So I'm not saying what I'm saying to negate that. I'm saying what I'm saying to balance it. Are you with me? Number three error. Huh? There's no time. Decompensation principle. Decompensation principle. This is where you have the so up to go up principle. Are you with me? The hundredfold blessing. One of such prosperity teachers wrote in her book that Matthew 10.30, which is where they get their, their um, false doctrine from. Um, Matthew, Mark, rather, Mark 10, 29-30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters, mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. So they say, well, it's a good deal. In fact, let me quote the lady. She said, God's will is prosperity. Give $10 and receive $1,000. Give $1,000 and receive $100,000. In fact, Mark 10.30 is a very good deal. Greed, greed will kill you. Greed will kill you. And, and I think the, the... Whenever you are correcting God's children on things like this, they will tell you, but it works, but it works. But, but it works what? Okay, you give offering every Sunday. Do you know what a principle is? You know what a principle is? A principle is a hypothesis that has been tested over and over and over, and you get the same results with each testing. After multiple testings, it becomes a principle. Are you with me? That is, it will always happen this way. Save maybe one or two exceptions with some interferences. It is a principle. So, if I take this and I drop it, it will drop. Why? Gravity is a law. It's a principle. It will happen that way. If it is a principle that for every $1 I give, I will get $100, every Sunday when you give offering, you must, do you understand what I'm saying? Must receive 100 times what you give every Sunday, except God is a liar. You must, like there is no exception to the rule. Now, please, let me say it again. Do I believe that God rewards giving? Yes. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Mm, it's possible. I have seen 
what am I saying? Even personally, times when the Lord will ask me to give something, I will give it and almost immediately somebody else would remit what I have given back to me. I've seen that happen numerous times. But the difference here is I haven't made that experience into a principle, a doctrine. Because it is not. This is why many Christians are frustrated. I remember, Kai, I, I, I want to do my best not to name names in this teaching series so I don't distract you. I went for an end of the year program somewhere with my friends. And then the thoughts along, you know now, and ah, this man, when he preaches on that kind of giving, you can give, you can, see, you can, you can, the clothes you are wearing, you feel dropper. You feel, ah. So he finished preaching, told people to give. My friend came and told me he's dropping his shoe. Even then I believed in it as well. He's dropping his shoe that next year is coming with a car. I want to announce to you that he did not come with a car. <laughs> I know people that sold their school fees. Like, they took the school fees and sold it as seed. School fees. In Covenant University, school fees. Close to a million. Your parents worked hard, poured their sweat, gave you money to go and pay your school fees. You sold it as seed. Why? Because someone told you that if you drop one million, get ready for 100 million. That's what it means. No, but that is what it means. Let me tell you now, there is no such doctrine in the Bible. Do you hear what I'm saying? It does not exist. Along that doctrine is the misbehavior of a $100 blessing. There's an anointing on me now. Come and touch my hand with $100. If you touch my hand with $100, there's a $100 blessing coming your way. There's now a $1,000 blessing. What of those? Don't you get it? God's blessings are for everyone in the local assembly. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everyone in the local assembly. If there is a person that cannot afford $100 in that place, what is their lot? Say, ah, sorry, try next time. Work harder. The interesting thing is, they will tell you, if you want to reach $100, you need to sow a seed. I don't have anything. That means I'm doomed to fail forever. God doesn't care about me. This is the error of the prosperity gospel. Make sure you stay away from it. See, let me talk like Paul. Even if I come one day and I say I was wrong, this don't listen to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. If I come out one day and I say, there's a thousand dollar blessing in my hand, come and touch my hand with one thousand. The response I expect from you is laughter. Just start laughing because I'm being funny. It's different from when the church comes and says, we're doing a project, we want to raise X, Y, Z amount. If you, if you can give this amount, please raise your hand. That's different. Do you see how it is different? Uh, it's different from when I now say, uh, come on, there's, there's an angel of money around me. Uh, 
I'm seeing 50 people with $1,000. Come and touch my hand. Okay, if you don't have it, 500, 100. It's okay, pledge something that between now and the end of next month, you'll come and... Can't you see how desperate they are to milk your money? And the people that fall for such tricks deserve it. They deserve to fall. Because you are a greedy person. That's why you fell for that trick. Do you hear? You are a greedy person. It's greed that drove you there. Because someone told you that if you, if you put $1,000 in there, what is a $1,000 blessing? What does it look like? What does it entail? What is inside a $1,000 blessing? Are the blessings of God now for sale? Don't you see it? There was someone in the Bible that um, he, he saw Peter um, praying for people to receive the Spirit. And then he, he offered money. Peter said, your money perish with you. So where do we pick up the culture? The people who fall victim for those things, you deserve it. You are greedy. That's why you fell victim for it. And I'm not even sorry for you. Praise the Lord. Now I'm thinking of how I'll go back up. Number four. The fourth error of the prosperity gospel, and this one, some of you might have an issue with it, is prayer makes God give you what you want. It's an error. Now, listen, let me, let me, let me put it, let me balance it for you. You can pray for what you want. In fact, you should. I will show you very soon. You should pray for what you want. Do you understand what I'm saying? But even when you are praying for what you want, always recognize that God's will is higher than your will. There is nothing you can do, hear me, children of God, nothing you can do to strong arm God into doing what he doesn't want. Have you heard people say things like, if my seed says yes, God cannot say no. That is blasphemy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Say you need something, just sow a seed. There is a seed you will give to God, he can't say no. Hey, God is not greedy. Why, why do we think that your money will impress God? Do you know that money doesn't have value before God? The value of money is placed on money by human beings. So it's akin to when you were young, you cut up paper. Remember that thing you, we all used to do? You would cut paper into small rectangles. You say, okay, I have plenty of money. I have plenty of money. Now, between you and your sister or you and your brother, you've determined what the value of each money is. Is that correct? But it's, it's not, those are value to your parents. So you now offend your mom. You break a plate. Your mom now says, why did you break the plate? You now say, shh, if my seed says yes. I have played. You now carry the paper you've cut and you give her, take, the slap. The, you will see God that day. <laughs> like when you enter heaven, they will say, you self, why now? <laughs> you, you want to bribe God with money. Money. <laughs> It has no value to him. Gold, gold has no value to God. Diamonds have no value to He created all of it. So how much is the money you are giving him? I sold a dangerous seed. How much? 50K. 
I'm not saying 50K does not have value. It has, but not to God. We can never strong arm God. In prayers, we negotiate. Do you understand? Father, I know this is your will. But this is where I, this is where I am. Help me. How can we get to where you are? At some point in negotiation, you say, Lord, you know what? Let your will be done. That's prayer is, the best you can do in prayer is negotiate. Not strong, I'm God. Say, you must do, or else what? Don't forget that he is God, <laughs> See, if you don't answer this prayer, I'll tear my Bible. What influence or impact does tearing your Bible have on God? Do you think that when you tear your Bible, when you tell that God, when you say, I will tear my Bible, you say, no, now it has not reached like that. <laughs> or yeah, what do you want? What do you want? You think that's the way he is? Do you know who he is? Do you know, you're not the first person to threaten God. When Elijah threatened God, God said, there are 7,000 other prophets that have not bowed. Arrange yourself. Because if you do any of you see any of Elijah was saying, am I the only one? I'm tired. Cuckoo, kill me. God said, if you die, there are 7,000 others that will take your place. I hope you know that that is God's consistent attitude or response to things like that. When Jesus was coming, they were worshipping. The Pharisees came and said, stop. Jesus said, if you stop them, I will raise stones to worship me. Is God, so that threat, God, if you don't do it, I, I will, I will. <laughs> uh, you are putting yourself inside bigger trouble. You are putting yourself in, ah, you are putting yourself, one, when God called me into ministry, one of the first things he said to me is, you are not indispensable. That was one of the first things he told me. He said, I will anoint you, I will, I will, my hand will be on your ministry, my favor will be on you, but never make the mistake of thinking you are indispensable. The day you decide you are not doing, I will raise your younger brother to do it. That's who God is. So you now negotiate. When you are feeling overwhelmed, you will now go and kneel down and say, see God, I'm not threatening you or anything, no, but I'm tired. Help me. You don't go and say, God, what's the meaning of this? If you don't do something, eh, what? <laughs> say, if your faith says yes, God cannot say no. Okay. Faith is submission. Do you hear what I'm saying? Faith is all kingly forever. God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. Because we know, normally, he did deliver. But he can choose today that it's time for us to go home. If that's the choice he makes, we're fine with it. Faith is submission. We don't know the extent of damage that nonsense teaching has done to us. It's why we always have a problem with God when a loved one goes home. Always. Always. We're always, God, it's not fair. Did you give the person the breath of life? Is the breath of life yours to sustain? The one who gave the breath of life has called the person home. Our, our response is, it is painful, we don't like it, but you are still God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If the person dies and God says, pray that they come back, ah, okay, we have the backing of our king. 
to do things. But when the king, on many occasions, I'm telling you, there was one, I, I, I've shared this story many times. A person met me, my mom has died, we prayed, she came back to life. Another person met me, my sister is gone. As I was about to start praying, the Holy Ghost said, don't try it. This person has gone, he has gone. She has gone, rather. She has come to. The Holy Ghost asked me, what, what exactly is this person coming back to? What, why are you even so excited about where you are? That you, for, if it's you, this, this, this was the conversation the Holy Ghost was having with me. If it's you that you've seen heaven, would you want to go back? So what exactly are you so excited about? Come back, come back. Don't you say that many times it's for your selfish reasons? We must never think that there's anything we can do as human beings to strong arm God into a position he does not want to be. Like they said in the movie, the ant cannot have a problem with the boots. It's too big. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are ant, he is boots. You can only negotiate. If God decides, okay, this is, I want you to do this, this, this. In the place of prayer, because he is your father, you can say, God, can we go in this direction? Is there a way that it can happen like this? A conversation. If you see 50, 50 righteous people, will you, will you withhold your anger? If you see 40, if you see 30, if you see 20, if you see 10, a negotiation. Do you understand? Abraham, the father of faith, did not say, if my faith says yes, God, you can't say no. Praise the Lord. Lastly, errors of the prosperity gospel. The last error is that Jesus came to make you rich. Let me tell you something. Anything that man could do before Jesus came is not why Jesus came. Does that make sense? You don't sound sure. Does that make sense? Anything that man could do before Jesus came is not why Jesus came. So, were there rich people before Jesus came, then Jesus certainly did not come for riches. That makes sense, right? Because what would be the point in him dying to make people rich? When people were, in fact, there is nobody richer after Jesus than Solomon who was before Jesus. Is that true? Uh, so what would now be, it, it, it would be a waste that upon your death, you couldn't produce someone richer than somebody who became rich without your death. Let me tell you another interesting fact. Anything that people outside of Christ have cannot be the reason why Christ came. It, I, See, this is common sense. There are wealthy unbelievers, no? There are wealthy unbelievers, very, extremely wealthy. On your Forbes richest list, I don't think you have a Christian on the top 10. I'm not very sure, but I don't think you do. Extremely wealthy unbelievers. So Jesus' death could not have been to make anybody wealthy. There were people who were wealthy or who are wealthy without accepting him. 
Are you with me? Let me say another one that you may not um, have realized. Jesus did not come to give you healing. That's divine healing. Now, is there divine healing in Christ? Yes. Is that why he came? No. Do you know why? Because there were people who were healed of their sicknesses before Jesus came. And even in Jesus' earthly ministry, he healed people of their sicknesses before he died. So his death could not have been for healing. Are we together? So why do we pray for the sick to be healed? Because we have a father that is a healer. Are you with me? He heals. That's, so it is our father's nature to heal the sick. Placate our father's nature in praying for the sick to be healed. Jesus revealed the nature of the father in healing the sick as well. But that was not why he came. Jesus came to die for one thing and one thing alone. That through his death, everyone that believes will have eternal life. That's the one thing man didn't have outside of Christ. Does it make sense? So Christ did not die for you to have money. You must be very careful when we are psyching. You know how preachers, we psych people up. Say, spend the money. Somebody died for it. Nobody died for it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Nobody died for it. So, I've talked about one false extreme on the money subject. Let me quickly talk about the second false extreme on the money subject. This is how we wrap this teaching up. Now, to correct the first false extreme, that is the prosperity gospel, I've seen people go to the extreme opposite, where they say things like, God is not involved in your finances. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. God is not involved in your finances. He's not involved. He doesn't care about your career. He doesn't care about your education. God is only particular about ministry. That is another extreme. And like we agreed when we're talking about balance, you don't balance an extreme by teaching another extreme. Children of God, I have seen firsthand what this school of thought does to people. Let me tell you something. If you believe that, you will be poor. Like there, there's nothing you, you will be poor. I'm serious. You will be poor. And here is why. The first thing that will happen when you accept that mindset, God doesn't care about your finances, he doesn't care about your money, he doesn't care about your career, is that you become careless about it as well. I know churches where they teach that, and the people who work in those churches, on a Monday morning, you have a job, but you are more particular about evangelism than your job. There is a time for everything. So you become careless about it as well. Number two, you stop having ambition. God created ambition. Ambition is not necessarily a bad thing. It is when the ambition is directed to the wrong place that it becomes bad. 
But there's such a thing as being ambitious for a selfless cause. Do you hear what I'm saying? This month, I will emphasize a lot on this. You must blow. Like, see, you don't have a choice. In this world, you, will, you must blow. You must blow. Because the gospel needs it. So you will blow. Say a loud amen. amen. If you like, don't say amen, you will blow. I'm praying for you night and day that you will blow. Because how God funds the work is by blessing his people. Even in Jesus' ministry, angels never brought money to Jesus. So Jesus will now pray, say, Father, there's a crusade we are organizing. The budget is about 6.2 million. Please, can you quickly dispatch Angel Raphael with the funds? Then two minutes later, check the wardrobe. You open the wardrobe, say, ah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, no, Jesus can't say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Never did that. How was Jesus' ministry funded? If you read the book of Luke, you find out it was women and the people who followed his ministry that gave. John, rather, the book of John. In fact, they gave, and then Judas Iscariot was the treasurer. So he was carrying the money up and down. Are you with me? When Jesus died, it was Joseph of Arimathea that bought over the sepulcher, the grave where he was buried, went and haggled with the governor and said, give me his body. Use politics to collect his body. Are you with me? Please pay attention. Are we together? So there is um, the place for ambition. But when you have the mindset that God does not care about your finances, God, you will not have ambition. God only cares about ministry. Don't you know that it takes money to do ministry? You don't know. Ministry is expensive. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. And so, um, it is a false extreme to say God doesn't care. We'll go through a portion of, um, and some portions of scriptures. I told you, um, there are two, I told you two things that would happen. The third is you will open up your finances to the devil. Because the devil knows you will never pray about it. So any tough season you start seeing in your finances, you will just say, well, it is what it is. God doesn't really care, so how do I pray about it? You see this thing I just said now? is where many people are, many Christians. You love God. You love his work. The devil is attacking you severely, but you don't know how to pray about the finances because you feel like if I'm praying about my finances, it's not what God wants to hear. God wants me to pray about souls. God wants me to pray Pauline prayers only. That is the prayers that Paul wrote. That's the prayer we must pray only. There are many prayers that Paul prayed that he did not record. For instance, Paul records that he beseeched or besought the Lord um, repeatedly for the life of Epaphroditus. He didn't record it. He said until the Lord had mercy on the guy and healed him. See, we must only pray Pauline prayers. You must only pray the prayers written in the New Testament. That is not the way the Bible works. A couple of portions of Scripture. James chapter 1 verse 5. James chapter 1 verse 5. Do you have this in the Amplified? Do you have the Amplified version? All right. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, 
let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. Say liberally. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The Amplified says, let him ask of our benevolent God. The giving God. God wants to be known as the giving God. One of the ways he, he revealed himself in the Old Testament and even into the New is Jireh, the God that supplies. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. Are you there? Everybody read Philippians 4, 6 together. I want to go. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Note that he's not talking about your requests ministry-wise. So my request is, Lord, more souls, more souls. No. He says, don't be anxious for anything. There are things that will come that will bring you anxiety. There will be times that you will be hit with the attacks of this world, the needs that are around you. Anxiety will come. He says, don't be anxious. In all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. You don't have a precedence in the Bible, in the New Testament or Old that God is not concerned about your specific... Are you with me? First Peter chapter 5, verse 6-7. to The reason why I'm taking you through all these numerous scriptures is so that you can see biblical evidence that you ought to cry out to God. Everybody read... First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, together, I want to go. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So, how does Peter instruct you to humble yourself before God? He says you are to cast your care upon him. Listen, let me tell you something, dear believer. If there is any problem you are going through, that you refuse to pray about. Your refusal is an act of pride. Do you hear me? Anything you are going through and you say, I'm not going to pray about this. I'll just sort it out. It's an act of pride. Prayer is humility. Casting your cares onto the Lord is humility. Are you with me? We see it in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was truly God and truly man. He was set to die. But on the night he was to die, he went to pray. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass over me. That's humility. I don't care how tough the season is. I don't care how, I don't care your excuse. If there is a tough season, there is a care to cast, then cast it upon the Lord. In doing so, you submit yourself to him. He says, humble yourself before the Lord so that in due season, he will exalt you. What does it mean? If you cast your cares before him, he will take care of those cares. That's what exalting you in due season means. 
Are you with me? So the ideology that God doesn't want to hear it is from the devil. It's another extreme we must not get to. It's from the devil. Many of us need to go back and relearn it. Relearn how to pray for your needs. Relearn how to say, Father, I am broke. Help me. I am hungry. Help me. This, this idea, okay, don't pray, don't ask God, just confess. Say, I have plenty. I'm, I'm walking in plenty. No, 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 no. Confession comes after prayer. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you have prayed, and then the Lord has given you, because the, the, um, the first scripture we read talked about, um, not the first, the second one. Be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication. Make your requests known unto God. The next verse says, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding, it says, will flood your heart. So when I've, when I've brought my anxiety before God, what happens is that if, I've, if I pray properly, I will drop that anxiety and I will pick up peace. Now, when I have picked up peace, I can now start making confessions based on the peace that I have picked up. Are, are you with me? Oh, I know who I have believed. I know that my Redeemer lives. Are, are you with me? I know that God is faithful because I've prayed. I've prayed. In the Bible, you don't have precedence for, of anybody coming out to speak boldly without first praying indoors. When Elijah went to tell Ahab it will not rain for the space of three and a half years, after he finished it, he now went indoors and locked the door and took his time to pray till it happened. When it was time for the rain to come back, he didn't just go back and say, well, I opened the heavens now by believer's authority. No. He went back to pray. You need to relearn how to pray about your needs. Are you with me? Oh God, this season is tough. Help me. Help me. Have mercy. You need to relearn how to pray about your needs. You need to relearn how to ask God for the things that are on your heart. Amen. Amen. And there is no, if it is a burden on your heart, God wants to hear it. Are you with me? If it is a burden on your heart, he wants to hear it. Lord, I'm owing so much money. Can you deliver me? Lord, I'm going through this. Can you deliver me? I need a husband. I need a wife. Can you deliver me? If it is a burden on your heart, he wants to hear it. Don't let anybody lie to you that God is not interested. What can, if you being evil know how to give good gifts, to how much more your father in heaven? Praise the Lord. Psalm 65 verse 2. Everybody read Psalm 65 verse 2 together. I want to go. Oh, thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. All flesh will come because he hears prayer. Are you with me? Mm. Don't go to the other extreme. All flesh will come to him because he hears prayers. Finally, Psalm 55 verse 22. 
this one struck me. This verse, ah, it struck me. It struck me for two reasons. Number one, the content, but number two, the fact that David, that hadn't seen the love of God expressed in the death of Jesus, had this kind of confidence in God. Everybody read Psalm 55 together, I want to go. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. He says, cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. It is a confidence that God gives. If you bring your burden to me, I will be your sustenance. This is what Paul was teaching, where he said, I've learned the secrets to abase and abound. I know how to have plenty and I know how to have little. Whether I am well-fed or I am hungry, I can do all things through Christ who sustains me. Cast your... So what was Paul's secret? Oh, he knew how to just drop it before God. Cast his burden before God and collect sustenance. Many of us, we don't want to drop those burdens before God. We want to complain about them all the time to God. God, why is this happening to me? No, 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 no. There's something better. The same energy. It's the same process. It's the same process. One, you spend all your time complaining. The other, you take that time that you spend complaining and turn it to prayers. Same process. Are you hearing me? I'm going to give you three minutes. I don't want to end this teaching series without making you practice what you are learning. There is one thing, I'm going to ask you to pray for just one thing that is heavy on your heart. I'm not asking you to shout now, but I'm asking you to cast your burdens before the Lord. Take your time. Take your time. Cast your burdens before the Lord. You can't count your victories in prayer until you lay your battles before God. Do you hear what I'm saying? You can't count victories in prayer if you don't bring your battles to the Lord. Cast your burdens before Him. You are a child. You are His son. You are His daughter. It is not out of place to say, Father, I need this. Help me with this. Provide this for me. It's not out of place. Cast your burdens before God. When was the last time you poured out your heart in prayer? You let the tears flow in the place of prayer. We cry to everyone else but God. And God does not ignore the tears of his children. We are so quick to complain to everyone else. But we never talk to God about it. I can promise you something. As you pray, the peace of God that passes all understanding will envelop your heart. And the Bible was right in describing it so. Because you would never know. You would never. People can't explain why you are at peace. It makes no sense. Somebody who is going through what you are going through should be defeated. But you've dropped the burdens before him and you've picked up peace. Lord, my house rent is almost due. I don't know where to get it from. Help me. 
help me. I'm in so much debt. I don't know how to get out of it. Help me, help me. Give me wisdom, give me favor. Let me come out of this thing, Father. Lord, I've been looking for a job now for so long. I don't know how to get it. Father, help me, help me. You have one more minute. You better make it count. There are certain problems I'm facing at home. Certain situations I'm facing at home. Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I've talked to everybody I know to talk to. I've tried everything I know. It's not working. Help me. Help me. Provide a way of escape for me. Because you are the one that leads me beside still waters. I trust to be moved. I'll give you a few more seconds. Some of us need to spend some more time talking to God. Be real this time. It's very easy to pray in tongues and shout. And think that that's the solution. You've not really said your heart to God. Some of you, it goes beyond material needs. You've not felt peace in your heart for a long time. You've not felt peace. You are tired of everything. Everything is tiring. Everything is everything drains you. There's no strength in your life. You smile for people, but only you know what's going on in your heart. I, I think you ought to talk to God. You ought to tell him, help me, help me through this thing, because I, I don't know what is happening in my heart. Give me peace. Give me strength. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.